I'm David Rowan. Welcome to Voyager's Journeys, where we meet the amazing people in the Voyager's community working on impact-led projects. This week, I talked to Ferry Heilemann in Berlin, who made his first fortune selling Daily Deal to Google, set up a hugely successful freight forwarding business called Forto, and then realized the climate crisis needed entrepreneurs like him to play their part. So he set up Leaders for Climate Action to get other founders committing to change and started an investment fund called Pirate Impact to back climate tech and social impact startups. Because companies that don't, he says, will get left behind. If you do not take sustainability and environmental impact and climate action into consideration as organization, you will be losing big time and you will not be able to hire any top talent in the future. Today, I'm with Ferry Heilemann, who has come from setting up a very successful company called Daily Deal to discovering how to send freight around the world in a super effective way. And now to do all he can to rescue the planet. He's co-founder of Leaders for Climate Action. He's set up a fund called Pirate Impact. He's now blogging. He's a media entity in his own right. Welcome to Voyager's Journeys, Ferry. Thanks a lot, David, for having me. So you seem to have a very big resume and all sorts of different things relating to climate. Let's start there. And in a minute, we'll talk about how you got here. So tell us what Leaders for Climate Action is. Yeah. Leaders for Climate Action is a community of entrepreneurs that drive climate action, as the name itself already states it. And I co-founded uh, this initiative in 2019 with a couple of other entrepreneurs, also uh, my brother. And we had the idea of scaling climate action in the digital ecosystem. The idea behind it is that entrepreneurs, CEOs, managing directors, commit to the green pledge, as we call it. And that means that they commit to reduce their carbon emissions personally, but especially also in their business context, and also measure and compensate the rest of the emissions they can't reduce or avoid. And, and this way become climate neutral as a first step. Obviously, very important. The primary goal is always to reduce and don't emit at all. Only the secondary goal is then to kind of pay and offset the remainder. And this was purely kind of passion driven. And we are by now more than 1,200 founders and, and leaders that joined with a total of 130,000 employees combined in all, uh, in all entities. And so far have saved a bit more than 370,000 tons of CO2 and this number is obviously continuously growing. So I'm very proud and, and happy about the impact that we could create so far. So you're in Berlin, but this is an international organization. Absolutely. I'm, I'm based in Berlin and also the operational team. So there's we have some five, six people that are working full time and a group of 10 to 15 people that are supporting operationally part time or the full time team is located in Berlin. But by now, we have an own chapter, even in Australia. We have a, a chapter in the Scandix. And we see really a lot of people that are very, very passionate about the topic and really want to push the organization forward in their community. And, and this way, we already got to more than 20 countries and are also planning to, uh, to move to the US 
should we see Leaders for Climate Action as a fun networking opportunity or is it a strict organisation where you set very specific tasks for people and if they don't meet those targets, you shout at them? So obviously the community thought is, is a relevant one and we are having so-called climate breakfasts where, for example, some entrepreneurs are talking about the climate action they took or we had, for example, Svenja Schulze, the uh, German minister, the federal minister um, for the environment was speaking. So we have a little bit of, of events and community and a big Slack group that we're building. But the core is, is really the climate action. And in the sign-up funnel for the leaders, you already have to measure your personal footprint, compensate it immediately, and we're tracking it. So every year, you're basically tracking your footprint again. And, and we are certainly an accountability partner on everyone's climate journey. And, and we also created guidelines on how to reduce your emissions effectively privately, but especially also for the company. So we are also facilitating the climate action, but at the same time also hold people accountable on it. And what is it specifically you're asking these 1,200 leaders to do at their organization? So... In essence, for the, for the leaders themselves, we want to create more awareness. Another thing that we need is a climate officer. So one person in the organization that actually executes the climate action in the respective business, because the CEOs are usually too busy to go into the nitty gritty details on changing the electricity provider and rewriting the travel policy, etc. But, but the essence is what we ask them to do is that they do at least two to three relevant climate actions within the first six months. And then we kind of guide them and try to trigger more and more climate action as we work together. Yeah? And some companies are like really ahead and are very advanced already on their journey and very progressed. And for others, it's really, you know, the first touch point kind of with climate action, understanding their carbon footprint and what offsets are and so on. We're trying to, you know, be open for everyone, obviously, because one of our kind of methods or, or thinking patterns is, so first of all, fuck history. So it doesn't matter what you've been doing yesterday. We only care about what you do today and tomorrow. And even if you've been the worst emitter last year, if you now come to the conclusion, hey, this wasn't good and I'm going to change it in the future, you're absolutely welcome and all doors are open. And second is also, basically 80-20. No one is going to get to zero. No one is going to get the 100% perfect uh, solution, but we have to start. And even if you just reduce your footprint by 10% year over year, we would already be on a, on a pretty good track. So getting started and then accelerating along the way and taking the right action now and for the future are important aspects for us. And are we seeing a lot of organizations hire a climate officer? So that really depends on the size of the organization. You can basically find in any organization, like 10, 20% of the people are passionate about climate and environment. So you have naturally quite a lot of people, for example, at Forto, the company I co-founded in 2016, we created a climate action group where people that are interested can come together and you know work on climate action, on turning the company more sustainable and, and, and thinking of ways outside the normal working hours. And back then, 15% of the organization signed up to work outside the normal working hours for this cause. 
So, so we see a lot of passion and, and people are actually thankful if they can add value and, and create an impact through this. And so most of the climate officers are existing team members that are passionate for the topic and are either in an executive assistant position or in the people department usually. Yeah. And, but some bigger organizations obviously even have a, a separate team that takes care of sustainability, CSR, et cetera. You talked about having saved getting on for 400,000 tons of carbon. How do you ensure that the members of Leaders for Climate Action are accurately measuring this? So the measuring of the, of the footprint is done with third parties. So we are not a service provider that is measuring the footprint of uh, Get Your Guide or, or whatever company it might be. And we do have like very simple calculators that give you a rough estimate but all organizations bigger than 50 people work with third parties. And there are many organizations like Planet Climate Partner, My Climate, Climate First. There are a lot of service providers and organizations that help companies to measure their footprint. And this footprint is then uploaded into our system. So we are actually tracking really also the documentation and the companies can then choose through what projects uh, they want to offset. And they are certified with gold standard or the verified carbon standard, for example, uh, that take into account that the projects have to fulfill uh, the criteria of additionality, etc. How much of your time is Leaders for Climate Action taking? So it's something that I'm not operationally leading. Yeah, I've been in the beginning, I, I spend a relevant amount of time. We are having weekly calls with the core team, roughly eight people every Friday where I participate. And my value add is basically spreading the word, winning entrepreneurs that I know, and, and also giving input on, the, on a strategic level. Yeah. It's somewhere between 5 and 20% of my time. In the bigger corporates, are they waking up to the urgency? Are they standing in line to join initiatives like Leaders for Climate Action? So bigger corporates are not yet our target. So we, we basically really grew kind of organically. It was the network of the founders and then second level network. And it was mostly focused on, on digital companies. What we see now is that, as you just mentioned, people from like larger organizations and also from the non-digital space are becoming more aware of this problem and are also willing to act. So we're having more and more people that are not from our typical digital space uh, that want to join and want to start their climate journey, which is, uh, which is great. At the same time, it also has a bigger complexity. If you look at a typical footprint of a, of a digital company that isn't really producing any goods, you can roughly say the footprint per employee will be around three to five tons per year. So, so that's pretty little. If you're actually producing goods, that can go, I mean, then suddenly it's not connected to the amount of employees you have. Suddenly it's connected to different metrics and can be hundreds of tons and, and therefore much bigger, bigger for them. But I would say the, the overall awareness is increasing steadily and also the willingness to act and, and the understanding that they have to act, even if they would not be convinced on an intellectual level or, or a moral level, let's say, they know they have to act for employer branding reasons and also branding reasons towards consumers and customers. You mentioned that at your own company, Forto, people might know it through its earlier name, Freight Hub, you have taken 
steps to go climate neutral. So Forto is a digital freight forwarder, one of the biggest, certainly in Europe. You've raised quite a lot of money. I've seen more than $125 million. Last time I saw it, there were about 450 people in the company. How, in concrete terms, have you changed how Forto thinks about its footprint and how you operate? Yeah, it's a very, it's a very good question. And here, I think it's important to differentiate two topics. One topic is, I'll call it for simplicity, office. And that is kind of our employees, that is traveling, that's, you know, office equipment, that's energy that we're using in the office, that's material, merchandising stuff that we buy, food that we consume, etc. Yeah. That level is, at least from my perspective, relatively easy to change. And it's really completely in our circle of influence. And that's something that we've been doing from the very beginning on that we switched to a renewable energy provider, that we had challenges to even save electricity, implemented LED wherever possible, etc. That we're having local, organic, mostly plant-based food for our employees, you know, moving away from dairy products, etc. In terms of all the equipment that we buy, the hoodies that we give out to our employees, that they're, you know, made of the right material. It's, it's small things, but I think they are important and they add up. Yeah, if you buy just one hoodie, it's maybe not the biggest difference. If you buy 400, it does add up at some point and it's supporting the right companies also. We are really questioning if we actually do need to travel. Yeah, I mean, if you look back two years ago, a lot of business travel was done for no real reason. I think COVID fortunately changed that quite a lot and showed us that business can be done even without seeing each other in person. But but we already before that had travel policies that were forbidding flights within Germany, for example, etc. So optimizing that. That's the whole office bucket, I would say. Yeah. And then the second bucket is actually your product. And there, I mean, obviously we are in the logistics space. We're moving containers from Asia to Europe and pallets via different freight modes. And there is air freight, which is in terms of emissions by far the worst. You can say it's roughly 40 times as bad as ocean freight. Even though ocean freight has a relatively bad image, air freight is the heaviest polluting way of transporting goods. You have rail freight, which is in between, but already yeah, relatively close to, to ocean. And ocean as actually the most efficient, the most carbon efficient way of moving goods around the globe. And if you look at that, the first step is to create transparency. And that is already in itself not easy because if goods are moved, you know, from inland China with the truck to the port, with the vessel to the port in, in Northern Europe, and then again with the truck or via rail to the final destination, etc. Calculating all that is not that easy. And two, three years ago, it was difficult to get data on that. By now, we have implemented all that and can give this transparency. Hey, how much are you actually emitting with your transports? Can give that transparency to our customers as a very first step. We then consult them also to use trade modes that emit less. Obviously, if you have air freight and you can move to rail, that's a huge impact. Unfortunately, often the trade and the transport mode is also connected to the product because ocean takes a long time, six to eight weeks, and air takes like five days. And if you have, you know, a million iPhones that you want to ship that have a very high value, you don't want to have them sit on the ocean for two months. It's just, it's a question also of capital expenses. So, so a couple of products 
it will be very difficult to move them to to ocean but wherever possible we we consult our customers to to do that and then a smaller and and sometimes easier step is to do it on the last mile so basically from the port or or the, or the airport to the final destination to the warehouse yeah using the truck is the worst way using rail is kind of the the, the best way you can do yeah so there you can actually really reduce the emissions um, of the transport. And that, that's what we're doing, not in a fully automated way yet, but we're consulting with the, with the sales team. And the second part is then again, also compensating. And we decided to compensate all LCL. So like all pallets that are being sent from customers, not full containers. We're doing that on our own kind of balance sheet automatically without additional charges for the customer. So all LCL, all smaller transports are automatically climate neutral through us. And for the full containers, since our margins are not super, super high and allowed to spend a lot, we're offering it to all customers. And, and that's really interesting because 60% of our large customers that really ship big volumes, and I'm talking about uh, thousands of containers a year, now agreed to compensate their shipments. And this basically happened this quarter. Yeah, it's, it's always a yearly negotiation. And what we are doing as a company is we say, hey, if you compensate, we double the compensation. So we compensate an additional ton uh, of carbon for every ton that you compensate in order to incentivize them in, in doing at least, at least this step. I can see this is all great for the planet, but is it good business? Does it help you recruit staff? Does it make you more competitive? So more competitive in terms of customer acquisition, I would say not necessarily, but there are also organizations that require the transparency that say, hey, we are kind of a sustainable company. We have to import our stuff in a sustainable way. And and for those companies, which it's it's not the majority, yeah, it's an advantage. For, for the rest, I would say it's it's neutral. Yeah. On a on a talent acquisition side and on our kind of team, I would say it's a, it's a big advantage. And it's also one sustainability is one of our of our core values in the organization. And and from my perspective, if you do not take sustainability and environmental impact and climate action into consideration as organization you will be losing big time and you will not be able to hire any top talent in the future. Now, you weren't known as a green campaigner originally. You and your brother, Fabian, became best known, particularly in the German tech ecosystem, for co-founding Daily Deal, the coupon website that became very successful, was bought by Google 2011, $100 million dollars as an acquisition fee. And I think you were clever enough to sell the same company twice, which I think only people like Nicholas Zenstrom has done with Skype. Tell us how you went from being a consumer facing entrepreneur, and then you and your brother became key investors through the Berlin Fund Early Bird, and then how you discovered a new sense of purpose. Yeah, so my own climate journey started actually in in early 2015, and it was not triggered by a specific event. I basically started reading and learning more about climate change. And with very simple means in the beginning by, you know, reading the Wikipedia article around it, which is enormous, (laughs) you can learn a ton. I read a couple of books from Al Gore, the book Future, or also from Stephen Emmett, the book 10 Billion. And, and that triggered 
a lot, I would say, in my, myself. And, and I, was, I was actually, I was shocked in what situation we are in and the situation we will be in if we do not change our course drastically. I then started basically from the inside out to change my personal lifestyle. First became vegetarian, switched to a green electricity provider, installed LED, put solar on the roof, sunsetted the combustion engine car, and especially also reduced my flights in the business context, but especially also in the, in the private context. And I'm now operating with like without COVID footprint around seven to eight tons um, a year, which is again, not perfect. Yeah. It's <laughs> a bit less than average German, but more than the average uh, citizen in the globally. So, so that was kind of the first step. And the second step then was taking these ideas and multiplying and implementing them in my company Forto and lifting it, kind of scaling it a little bit, applying everything I learned and, uh, and knew to the operations at Forto. That was kind of the second evolutionary step. The third step for me was then saying, okay, now I did it in my own company. How can I multiply and scale that? And that became ultimately leaders for climate action, where we say, hey, let's trigger as much climate action as we can and, and push companies to become uh, climate neutral. And that's, and that's leaders for climate action. Um, and Ori, of course, had a much, much bigger scale than the impact that I was able to create at Fortal or in my personal lifestyle. And the fourth step was then actually that this topic became so important to me and such an, I almost want to say an obsession of mine, yeah, that whenever I had 10 minutes of free time, I was thinking about climate tech and sustainability and climate action and wasn't thinking about logistics anymore. And that's when I then also came to the conclusion, okay, I have to move out of my company, which I mean is my baby and I have a very high level of identification with it and I'm still closely in touch, but I can't do this anymore as my full-time job. And that was summer 2020. And afterwards I, I had kind of an in-between time where I wrote a climate action book, which is a climate action guide for entrepreneurs, which will be published on April 8th and, and also was thinking, how can I create the biggest impact going forward? And was, you know, even thinking about politics, going into the NGO space, founding a new company in the climate tech space or becoming an investor and to cut a long story short, it became the investment part. And I'm now investing our private funds from our family office. So it's my brothers and, and my money that I'm investing at the moment with a very small team with a focus, with, with an 80% focus on climate tech, but also a 20% focus on social impact topics like empowerment, inclusion, mental well-being. And yeah, and, and I discovered that as the lever and the instrument that I want to use to create a bigger impact now going forward. And you're calling the fund Pirate Impact. Why pirate? <laughs> That's, it, it's a good question, yeah. Everyone knows what a pirate is. The average image is probably rather a negative one, uh, half criminal, drunken yeah, guys or groups. But if you look at the golden age from like 1680, 1619 to 1725, the, the pirates that were um, active in that period were actually former sailors from the Navy or from private merchant ships. And they were actually escaping a very brutal and authoritarian environment with no equality whatsoever, sometimes no pay in very, very bad circumstances. And they formed a new group and did more or less what they were doing on private merchant ships, just without the acceptance of some 
kind of government. And they implemented several things that we that are by now in our de democracies a common understanding. They, for example, had democratic systems. So they were choosing who's the captain. Yeah, and the captain could also be changed and removed again. They were getting pretty much equal pay. Yeah, whatever they, they managed to capture, it was split pretty much equally. It was very diverse. Yeah, One third of the pirates uh, were actually black and there were women, which was back then, you know, unimaginable in the, in the Navy, for example. And they even had social security. So if you lose a leg, you get a certain compensation. And, and those were things that were uh, unprecedented at that time. And they basically moved to the edges of society to really transform and change society. And this is exactly what um, we are also trying to do with, with Pirate Impact, because I think it's time to move away from the financial capitalism that we've been practicing over the last 150, 200 years and move towards impact capitalism that does not only take into account profits and financial results, but also planet and people and makes it therefore more holistic and in the end, uh, sustainable economic form for, for our world. But it doesn't sound like you're entirely at the edge of society, Ferry. You are investing in companies hoping to get a financial return as well. To what extent do you think a financial return is boosted by the fact that a founding team is driven by impact? Well, I think for the investments that I want to make, one of the criteria is that the founders are really mission aligned and that the purpose of the company, the reason why the company exists is to create this positive impact. And I do not want impact as a side effect. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing in the core business, I'm doing whatever food. Oh, and by the way, I reduce a little bit of food waste. This, this will not be a company that I would want to invest in. And I think... From my perspective, and that's also a bit how my entrepreneurial history was, was shaped or, or, or kind of turned out. If, if you focus on building the very best product and, you know, really solving problems, and I think then you don't need to take the profits that much into account. They will come by itself almost if, you, if you're just doing a very good, very good job. And what I see with really passionate and purpose-driven founders, they have an unlimited source of energy and, and they just, you know, strive to be even better and have, you know, a drive that is, from my perspective, much stronger than a founder who is opportunistically founding the next best company because he wants to be a founder and he strives to become a millionaire. You and I last week invested in a Polish company called Airly that's trying to build the ultimate database of local air quality. What sorts of companies are you looking for? What does Airly have that made you think, yes, this is one for me? Yeah. So if we look at Airly, I think pollution is, if you look at it globally, it's actually uh, the number one reason why people die earlier than they should. It's maybe not so much the case in, in Germany or in very developed countries, but globally, it's a huge, huge, huge problem. And I was really amazed by the drive of, uh, of Victor, the founder, and, and also the tech they're, they're applying so far. And with that, they're tackling a problem that yeah, has really significant size and can create a lot of benefit for many, many people, especially in the developing world. In general, if you ask me, okay, what's the investment focus? I am 
totally uh, open and honest at still at the beginning yeah of of this it's not 100% defined and i'm also sure it will evolve over time the positive impact on society on the environment must be really front and center and and besides that i am relatively open important is that it also creates a significant or can have a significant impact so if you if, if the company or the product has only the potential to save 5 million tons at full scale of of carbon taking into account that we are emitting 51 billion tons of carbon then it would not be relevant enough i just want to ask you why so many successful entrepreneurs are having a second life building something to benefit the planet. In the Voyager's climate tech community, we've got people like Eric Wolfos, co-founder of SoundCloud, who's now focused on climate. What do you think it is? Well, difficult question. I'm sure there are many, many answers to that. But from my perspective, I think money is not a goal kind of in itself. Maybe if you don't have money, you think it is very important. Once you have money, you realize... Actually, it's okay to have it, but it, it's not fulfilling. And it's definitely like not the end goal of a career, of a journey, of something that you want to be remembered for. In the end, solving problems that are more meaningful, I think it's just a very powerful driver. And I think it's also our responsibility. You know, I mean, if we look at, at us as a group, the Voyagers group, founders, whatever, we are the most privileged 0.0001% of, of the global population. And if we don't take into account that we have to give back to society, not just locally, but especially globally, I think then things would be going really wrong. So I don't know if that's a driver, but, but I can imagine that, you know, we also have a lot of time to think in our fortunate positions. And if you do that a bit more, I think a lot of people come to a similar conclusion that giving back can be, you know, much more fulfilling than just taking. Two last questions, Barry. First of all, do you have a call to action to people in the Voyagers community, to people who are listening to this, things they can do today to play their part? So the Voyagers group obviously is already a very climate aware and, and climate active group, which I'm super, super happy about. And I can basically just say, really keep going and give 100% of whatever you can give in order to solve this this problem and, and do your very, very best. That would be kind of my ask or, or what I hope. A last question, Ferry. Do you have an ask and an offer for our Voyagers community? Is there something we can help you with, but in return, something you can offer to the Voyagers Climate Tech Group? So in my new role now with, with Pirate Impact, I'm obviously interested in, in companies that are tackling climate change head on and that are also having a positive or also in the social impact space. So if you see companies that, that are doing that, I would be happy to, to see them or to, to get an, an information around that. That would be my ask in one word, deal flow. And my offer is to go do some sparring with the companies. Or also, if you're building your own company, uh, give some feedback, uh, maybe connect you to a couple of people uh, that are helpful that I have in my network by now. Ferry Heilerman of Pirate Impact, of Leaders for Climate Action, of Forto. Thank you very much for sharing your Voyager's journey. Thank you very much, David.